Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Lorena, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, wonderful Tuesday uh, here on SENZ as we uh, go from 9 through till 12 o'clock this morning and a show that's got a, quite a wide spectrum, I must say. We're going to start off with some uh, netball, international netball, uh, then we're going to go to uh, the thoroughbred racing industry and look at one of the best publications I've seen for a while. Uh, so we'll talk to the editor of that, Ali Martin, the cricket correspondent for The Guardian. Uh, scathing reports coming out of that performance uh, of the Ashes by England in particular. Some of the, the great old senior players have uh, really weighed in heavily on this side. Uh, what does Ali Martin uh, think of that performance and uh, what will be the fallout from it? Uh, Mark Hinton uh, is on the panel at this stage. Uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, and our visit to the TAB just before 11 o'clock. And then tennis uh, straight after 11. Uh, we're going to go across to Australia and talk to SEN's tennis commentator over there, Jenny Drummond, on, you know, I think it's still a little bit about the Novak Djokovic fallout, but action on day one and what prospects for day two as well as the tennis proper gets underway. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it's a great story in Christchurch with a sense of the romance about it because green grass is once again thriving at Lancaster Park and community sports fields could soon be full of parents and kids running around enjoying the new version of one of the country's most historic sporting gems. As a sporting fan, one of the most distressing sights in the aftermath of that earthquake on that fateful day in Christchurch was either flying over or driving past what remained of that once proud colossus of New Zealand sport, decimated and deserted. Memories of famous all-black victories, cricket's great successes, Canterbury Shield tenures in particular come to mind on the Holy of Holies, the bastion of the red and black. McCormick, Wiley, the Deans brothers, Norton, Marshall and Mertens owned the acreage in the winter and then willingly handed it over to Motts and Dowling and Hastings, the Hadleys, Cairns, Astor and Fleming over the summer months. Plenty of visiting blood spilt out in the middle and easily the most parochial of support bases in the stands and more so on those famous terraces. To survive a contest at the old Lancaster Park was an achievement in itself, the triumph a rare and treasured gem. In essence, it was bloody tough down there. The old number three and five stands are long gone, sadly, too. The Hadley stand is gone and the more modern innovations that they introduced, they're also gone. There will no longer be the haunting red and black Canterbury chance or the Hadley, Hadley either. 
the youngsters will have little idea of who has previously roamed that area, of what history has unfolded. None will score a magical 222 or take their 400th test wicket on the new version, but they will be creating their own history on it very soon, and that will make the old codgers very happy. Flying over or driving past will be a pleasure as Christchurch continues to bounce back in style. The Silver Ferns will finish their quad series campaign in London with two games against South Africa after going down to Australia and host England in their two matches so far. Uh, One of the shining lights uh, so far for the Ferns has been, and I say inverted commas here, veteran 24-year-old shooter Maya Wilson who joins us live now uh, from the UK. Maya, thanks very much for giving us some time. Oh, no worries. It's so awesome to be on the show. Hey, cool. Uh, listen, b- before I, I start on uh, what's happening at the moment, you, you had a basketball scholarship to Idaho back in 2015. You were given that, uh, but you decided to, to stay with uh, netball and the Silver Ferns. Uh, do, you, do you regret it, or do you wonder what might have happened if you had taken that up? Oh, I do wonder what might have happened if I did take it up, but I definitely don't have any regrets. I think my pathway in netball has... Yeah, come to a place where I'm quite happy and looking forward to seeing what the future holds. But I also felt like I had succeeded in everything that I wanted to in basketball. I wanted to be a tall fern and was lucky enough to achieve it. So the next goal was silver ferns. And yeah, very grateful and honoured to be here right now. Oh, that's cool. Uh, that's cool. I just, I just read about it and I, I just thought it's interesting because uh, so many of our young uh, people try to get those scholarships and, and uh, they're pretty rare and I, I just... I just found it very interesting. But however, we'll get on to the business at hand at the moment. Uh, and that is, of course, uh, what we're up to uh, in terms of this quad series. Hasn't uh, particularly gone our way in terms of the re- results, uh, I think it's fair to say, Maya. But from your end, from where you're looking at it, how, how do you think the, the side's coming on? Yeah, like you said, it hasn't been in terms of the outcome of winning, hasn't been where we've wanted it to be. I guess we've looked back at the numbers and actually we're still tracking in in quite fine form in comparison to when we last won the Constellation Cup against Australia in March last year. So there are definitely some positives. I think for us, we do have some quite clear objectives in making sure that we can see all these newbies out on court and making sure that they're settling in where people are at, goods, bads and uglies. And despite not being able to come over the line, there are positives. But, yeah, looking forward that we need to be able to consolidate heading into Commonwealth Games in June or July this year. Really interested to hear about you talking about the newbies and the youngsters because here you are, a veteran of 24, the most experienced shooter on tour. So uh, do you feel a bit like... uh, I won't say mum, but your camp mother, but I'm going to say you, you certainly uh, are the experience at that end of the court. Yeah, it was actually hilarious thinking when you called me a veteran. I definitely don't feel... I've been around for a while, but in terms of test caps, I don't actually have, well, overly a lot. But, yeah, it does feel different. I'm only 24, and I think our youngest is 19, so that shows the youthfulness that we do have in the New Zealand netball system. And... And it just shows that we do have a pathway in terms of the long game. So looking at really developing those combinations and 
putting us in good stead, not only for Commonwealth Games this year and World Cup next year, but for years to come. You're shooting at a very high percentage over there, Maya. Uh, what has been uh, the secret from your point of view? I mean, uh, around 90% plus, it's outstanding. Yeah, I guess for me it hasn't been like that in the last probably 12 months, you say, but I guess not only is it looking back at sh- um, shooting t- technique, but actually being quite happy and settled in where I am in my own self and my personal life, mental health and everything like that, I think what uh, Knowles really does well and preaches within our Silver Ferns environment is that a lot of the times it's more than just netball, it's about us as people and we need to be really solid in who we are and where we are in life um, to be able to contribute to the Silver Ferns environment and I think that's probably where I've come along in the last couple of weeks. So you've got uh, three relative newbies as you as you labelled them with uh of possibly seeing uh, the likes of uh, Phil Davui start uh, make her debut against South Africa. That will be exciting. But, of course, Tiana, you've had, uh, you've also had Grace uh, at, at your end of the court as well. So uh, it's all about, um, I guess, as you say, development. How, how do you feel they're uh, adapting to the highest level against the highest opposition? Yeah, I think for Tiana and Grace in particular, they had never really played anyone outside of England that we played them at towards the end of last year and within our own ANZ comp. So coming up against the likes of the world champions of Australia was a really good test for them. I guess for them, they can see where they're at currently, how they performed, which a lot of the times there were some really good positives and where uh, there is room to improve uh, for them in the future. But yeah, like I said, it's it's consolidating some new and fresh and young people and for us, we need time and knowing that there is still some good stuff to come out of it. But boy, once we get our, our feet under our legs in the future, I think we're going to put ourselves in some really good stead. Who works with you um, on the shooting? I mean, are you, as the senior shooter over there, are you sort of a, a mentor in that regard as well? I mean, Dame Nolene, was, of course, was a mid-quarter uh, assistant coach, Deb Fuller, a defender. So specifically, do you have on tour a shooting coach as such? Uh, not normally do we have a specialist shooting coach on tour, but we are really lucky to have Tiaroha Keenan, who has come on board as our assistant coach for this tour, who is a shooting specialist. She was actually my high school and club netball coach back in the day at Mount Albert Grammar, so I've had a lot of time with her, and I think it's been really helpful for our young shooters to have that support of someone who is definitely looking at our shot technique but also how we work in circle and the movements that we need to do. So it has been lovely to have her on board. Um, but, yeah, I think that might be helping out in, in terms of my personal shot technique. Uh, Maya Wilson, we're talking to uh, out of the uh, Silver Ferns, of course. Uh, Maya's been uh, doing particularly well uh, wearing uh, the GS. But, but what, what about the GA? Uh, do you, I mean, one of the things about this, this uh, particular tour is finding those combinations, playing uh, people in and other positions. Do you see yourself uh, possibly as a goal attack as well? Yeah, I think I've dabbled in it a little bit in the past and have actually finally had a crack out against Australia and goal attack this tour, so that's been quite exciting. I think for me, now knowing that I've been able to build a, a pretty decent, solid conditioning base, I'm able to be able to step out there and, and give goal attack a go. And I've really enjoyed that challenge of learning a new position and not just being one-dimensional at goal shoot. And it's quite mm-hmm. easy when you have 
a very tall and beautiful long-legged Grace Nowicki under the hoop where we can just turn and shoot. So not only am I able to pass it to her, but just her presence in that goal shoot position gives me the confidence that regardless if I miss a shot or get it in, I know she's got my rebounds. I think one of the shames about this uh, little quad series that you're going is that you don't have another chance at Australia or England because you've gone so far over there. It would have been great just to see if you'd made progress there. Uh, so where do you feel, having played them possibly for, uh, really for the last time uh, before the Commonwealth Games, where do you think you're at? Can you close that gap? Yeah, definitely. I think in terms of how we played against England, we came out thriving in that first quarter and just probably were a bit costly on the turnovers end, but we were really in it and still in it to the last whistle. So I think we personally believe that we really could have taken that win and, and should have taken it by a lot. But however, that's not the case. But yes, we would we would have loved another crack at Australia. And I think that's where we were really hoping to be. But in terms of numbers, I think we're still there, thereabouts. Uh, it's just giving, giving those girls the opportunity to repetitive repetitively come up against tough opposition that is Australia. Yeah, I think, you know, results aside and then you look at, you know, the numbers on the scoreboard, etc. I think when you play against these, I think particularly if you've got a young combination, confidence is a massive side of playing at the mm. highest level. And I think if your young girls walk away from this tour confident about their ability at that level, I think it's probably as, as big a plus as anything, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And like you said, it's not always about the scoreboard, but what are the other wins or what are the learnings that we can get out of uh, our games? And like you said, for those young ones, they now know where the benchmark is, what they do well against those top-tier teams, where they can improve and how we can improve as a unit. So for our young shooting end, I think there's going to be multiple learnings to come out of this and being able to take those learnings and put them into our ANZ Premiership season and knowing that we mm. need to be able to prepare ourselves for a very hard and gruesome uh, Commonwealth Games because the schedule there is is really tough and you have to be able to back it up day by day. So looking forward to what that looks like for us. Well, pressure's on. Uh, you know, I mean, everyone is expecting you to beat South Africa um, by a relatively healthy margin because that's, of course, what England and Australia did. Um, so looking at these two matches, these two vitally important matches against South Africa, um, are you looking? Uh, what are you looking for to achieve there as a unit? I think, A, it's critical that we don't underestimate them. I think South Africa actually were toe-to-toe with Australia and were even at half-time when they played them last night. So you can't take them lightly. They do have some world-class players within their side that play within the Suncorp Super Netball. Some of them have played in the ANZ Premiership in the past and are playing here in England. So we need to make sure that we're sticking to our guns, running what our game plan looks like and just warming into the game. We realised that we probably turned over too much ball in that England game. So a lot of ball retention and keeping possession because we have possession. That's less time that they do. So ball possession and putting that ball through the hoop is key for us. We talked to Yvonne Willering yesterday. Of course, she watches uh, every single thing that you girls do, obviously, with her background uh, and then her <laughs> love of the game. And her observation was that she would really like to see um, the Silver Ferns perhaps trust their instincts a bit more, let the ball go, you know, and, and, and just trust what, you're, trust what you're about and trying to achieve. Is that a fair reflection? 
Oh, what Evie says is a lot of the times bang on the money. And I think, yeah, it's definitely that we're still a group who are trying to find our feet. Our combinations are new and in. So we need to learn quicker on what our mates can and can't do and what they can and can't receive. So, yeah, we need to be able to let that ball go. We need to use deception. We, like um, Yvonne would normally say to our defenders, we need to attack the ball in flight and not the player. So she is right on the money with that one. The other thing, of course, that's important about these two particular matches against South Africa is the last chance for that squad that is over there at the moment. And, of course, bearing in mind there are players to come back in, some of whom have quite a lot of experience. So it's, in a sense, I guess, a little bit of a trial for those newbies, those youngsters you're talking about, and and other players in the squad. Yeah, we have talked about that. There are people back home in New Zealand that would love to be here and do have some skin in our game. So it definitely is a trial. We, we don't know if the same 12 or 14 that are here are going to be the same people that go to Commonwealth Games. So what we need to do is put our hand up and make our mark while we're here, knowing that we need to give not only Knowles but the selectors all the faith that they can't not pick us. So that's not only our mm. challenge for the people here, but there's the challenge at home that for the people that are at home that they're really on our heels and they just need to have a really good ANZ Premiership season and put their hand up and they could definitely be on that flight to uh, Birmingham. Well, it's only six months out from uh, the Com Games, so you'll be back there sooner than you know it, Maya. So uh, all the best in these two games. We're watching back at home and uh, let's hope uh, we get uh, some, some good scores on the board and uh, you get out of it what you, you really need to uh, in this last opportunity. So thanks very much. Uh, for your time this evening over there. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. Maya Wilson there, Silver Ferns shooter. Uh, yes, yet another um, one of these beautiful ladies that we have on these shows uh, that just are so open uh, and uh, really at the end of the interview you know exactly <laughs> what they're, they're feeling and uh, how they feel about the game, etc. and their prospects. Um, it is really good. And I noticed uh, I was listening to... Uh, uh, Mitch McClettigan and, and uh, Louie talked to uh, one of Wellington's young cricketers who had some stunning figures, bowling figures over the, the last uh, week or so. And they were saying the same thing. Fresh, new, just fantastic. Um, right, what are we talking about today here? Um, apart from the netball, uh, we're, of course, uh, we're talk- John Day and I have decided for our first uh, Mount Rushmore of this calendar year uh, that we're going to go uh, batsman. We're going to look at batsmen who... Uh, easy on the eye. Those players that when they were out in the middle batting, you absolutely thought, yeah, absolutely. That is, that is batting. That is a th- almost a thing of beauty. So uh, we're going to give our top four. Um, we'd love to hear from you in that regard, double eight, double three. Uh, so there's one uh, subject perhaps you can come in on, the, the most four attractive batsmen that you've seen over the years, not New Zealand necessarily, they could be, but uh, worldwide. Uh, the other thing you might want to uh, weigh on, particularly Christchurch people, uh, even give us a call on 0800 150811. Memories of the old Lancaster Park. Memories of the old Jade Stadium, AMI Stadium. But uh, your memories, as uh, we talked about in the sermon, a new Lancaster Park is uh, about to be born April, I think. They're going to be starting uh, to play, have some action on those uh, beautiful fields that they're building down there. I think they're going to retain the gates as well. In fact, we tr- might try and get... I think it's Andrew Rutledge who is looking after that project down there. John, we might try at some stage tomorrow to uh, perhaps get an update on that because I, I think it's a really, really good story, the way that Christchurch are rebuilding. And, and, and Lancaster Park, of course, and you remember too, 
even uh, as a relative youngster, some of the great battles on that ground. Absolutely. I loved going to Lancaster Park. The only time I missed school, Smithy, wasn't because I was sick. It was because Dad would pull me out of school on a midweek to see like the, when the Springboks toured. I remember they played Canterbury in the early 90s and just you couldn't see anything being a kid. But, man, you could get the atmosphere, and I saw some great moments on Lancaster Park. Uh, Carlos Spencer giving us all the fingers for the Blues uh, that fateful day. Uh, also, when Canterbury lifted the shield off Otago, David Latter's hand in the ruck, and Andrew Merton's got a late penalty to beat them, I think, in 1994, 20 points to 18. So some magic, magic memories. And the Canterbury draft stand was normally where we'd sit. Uh, and the cheaper seats, but um, man, it was always lively when you were at a sporting event at Lancaster Park, that's for sure. Well, you could go down there and play for New Zealand, I promise you, and they'd love you. You could come back two weeks later and play for Central Districts uh, or, or uh, Auckland, and you were arch enemy <laughs> yeah. number one, and your name was absolute crap, and they let you know it in no uncertain terms. So it was, yeah, it was cool. It was really cool, but um, that's Lancaster Park. So your memories of that? Uh, and, and uh, you know, some of the older folk listening will have some great memories of the Fergie McCormicks, uh, you know, the Billy Bushes, uh, the Tanners, Hopkinsons, Wileys, those guys. Uh, and then in the summer, of course, as I said, Graham Dowling, Brian Hastings going way, way back, uh, the Hadley brothers, one, two, three of them, uh, and uh, all those great players that have played there right through until uh, the modern era. So, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, already we've got some texts coming in about uh, the Fab Four, those four batsmen that you'd really love to watch in action again because they were so beautiful on the eye. It's 9.23 here on SENZ. The number of uh, texts have come in straight away on the top four batsmen you uh, really did like watching because they were so beautiful and uh, the way they went about it. And beautiful is not a word you often use with cricket, is it? But they were some of these guys. Simple as that. Brian Lara, Sachin Tendulkar, Martin Crow, David Gower, that's from Simon. Um, and no one would disagree with any of those four. Uh, from uh, this other text that uh, has just come in, Sir Garfield Sobers, David Gower, Alvin Kalacharan and Mark Waugh. So uh, two or three new names in that group, David Gower in common. Uh, very, very easy to watch David Gower because he had so much time and uh, just a beautiful left-hander. Garfield Sobers regarded still as the greatest all-rounder in the history of the game, and there's a real West Indian flavour in there with Alvin Kalacharan, very diminutive, small batsman, but uh, he was uh, had a lot of time as well. And Mark War, of course, uh, who's uh, the beautiful one of the War family. Steve War was the grinder. Mark War was just absolutely beautiful on the eye, and uh, that also uh, is uh, very interesting as well. We've got a number of memories too of uh, Lancaster Park. Uh, and also uh, a really good opinion too on the New Zealand cricket under-19s not going to the World Cup. So plenty of that to come up uh, in the next half hour as well as we're going to ch- talk to uh, a fellow by the name of Aidan Rodley. Yeah, Aidan Rodley, you know him anyway, of course, if you know anything about racing in this country. Uh, he's responsible for a wonderful publication. We're going to talk about that very shortly. Meantime, it's the news here with Trudy. It is 9.32 here on SENZ and I'm holding in my hot hands here a, a cover, a uh, beautiful book actually, uh, the New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing Annual 2021 and Melody Bell is on the cover. If it's not Melody Bell, it's Avantage. Anyway, uh, it is just a, a wonderful publication and I received this courtesy of a gift from uh, the legendary icon and David Ellis uh, who uh, sent it to me and said you might like to look at this and I'll tell you what, I haven't been able to take my eyes off it 
It is a magnificent publication with some of the most beautiful photos and articles I have uh, seen in a racing book for quite some time. And the man responsible for it uh, is on the line for us now, the editor, uh, Aidan Rodley. Of course, Aidan is uh, well and truly known on trackside, of course, and in the racing industry. But he is now the editor of this uh, wonderful publication. Uh, Aidan, thanks very much for your time this morning, and congratulations. It's beautiful. Well, I really appreciate your kind words, uh, Ian, and I'm, um, yeah, I'm grateful. I'm pleased you've got one too because you were on my, uh, my list of people to make sure who uh, had one in their hands, so I'm pleased you've got your hands on it. And yes, it is Avantage on the on the front cover. And yeah. uh, all those photos are courtesy of basically New Zealand Racing Desk who who put out the, the three stories a, a day plus briefs and, and photos uh, make it available to New Zealand media and Australian media, uh, international media basically every day of the year and a lot of the stories and the content is taken from that so I'm indebted to, to their work as well. Well Aidan, this is a good publication I feel because it's, uh, it's also kick-starting it again because after what 47 years of con- Executive publications, it sort of went out of uh, publication, it went out of sequence in 2019, uh, but now it's back. Um, you must be, and racing people must be thrilled with that. Yeah, it is, and the feedback we're getting from it is, um, has been has been great. And obviously, we try and do it to the to absolute best quality. So it's a, a hard cover, glossy page book, and and as you say, the photos really do bring it alive. And and then you've got uh, the 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 text there, which is sort of recapping what's gone on through the season. So hopefully, in, in years to come, it can be used as a as a reference book. You can go back and and say, oh, who won the the, the you know the the 2021 railway or whatever, and uh, and you can go back. And, and find out about the Auckland Cup Carnival or the Wellington Cup Carnival or the, uh, the New Zealand Cup Carnival and, and, and recap it, relive it, and, and, it, and it was there for, for posterity. And I think that's the most important part because, like you say, it had been 47 years in a row, uh, no annual in mm. 2019 or 20, so this would have been the 50th consecutive year. So it is a bit of a shame, but... Uh, after doing the work and putting it together, it is, you know, there's a lot of work involved, so you can understand why uh, editors in the past have been reluctant to, to carry on, and really hats off to those previous editors, because uh, firsthand I, I know how much work's gone into it, so, uh, yeah, well done to them over the years as well. One of the great features for me uh, as well, Aidan, about this is uh, uh, the feature you've got on... Uh, the contribution that women are making to uh, the thoroughbred racing industry. Uh, wonderful honour for Lisa Allpress, of course, champion jockey last year, Danielle Johnson, champion apprentice, Hazel Schaefer, and then the star of the show, of course, Melody Bell. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's been a big year for those mares. And obviously, there's, there's some things in there that are unavoidable. The, the dominance of Tiakia means that, you know, every chapter, because we have gone by carnival to carnival to carnival, but obviously starting with the overview of the season, and that's completely dominated by, you know, the, the success that Jamie Richards and the Tiakia operation have had and uh, leading obviously into you know to, to David Ellis's award, Lisa Allpress's award, and then into those champion jockeys like you say, and champion uh, jockey Daniel Johnson. She had an amazing season. Hazel Schaefer is just a great ambassador for the sport. She's she's terrific, and um, and obviously then the mares have just really had a great season. Avantage and Melody Bell, uh, they were two out of the box, and it's a shame to see they're not still around. But we've got the next uh, next wave now, and hopefully they'll be the stars of next year's uh, annual. 
wonderful season two for you, you mentioned Tiako and they they are. I mean they they have been so dominant, uh, the Tangerine Army as they call it. Uh, but um, one of the reasons for that, of course, is Jamie Richards and the and the story now, of course, is this is his last um, big uh, carnival, Karaka, uh, million carnival that's coming up this weekend, uh, of course. And then he's uh, off uh, in the middle of the year uh, to start overseas. And that is a great story of success un- unfolding there. Absolutely. He's uh, like I've been in racing journalism for, for more than 20 years. And uh, like you, I was there when sort of Dave O'Sullivan sort of packed up and, and Paul took over, when Mark uh, Walker came in, when Jim Gibbs left and when Colin Gillings left. So you've seen sort of those some of those great trainers. But I, I think he's, you know, he's at least the, the measure of every single one of them. He's one of the best trainers we've got and his record stands alone, you know, in, in five and a bit years of training, six years of training, he's, he's racked up more than 50 you know, group one winners, you know, that's approaching where Murray Baker and Mike Moroni and Paul O'Sullivan and, and not too far away from where, you know, Dave O'Sullivan is up there ahead of guys like Graham Rogerson. So to be saying that about a guy who's only been training sort of six seasons, uh, he, he's just an incredible talent. Uh, he's just so thorough in everything he does. He's so professional. And um, he's just a great ambassador for his sport as well. You know, he's, he's easily accessible to, to any media. We're out there with him this morning uh, talking about his horses of uh, Karaka Million Night. And, yeah, he's just a, he's a, a great trainer and a, and a, and a, a pretty big loss. But, uh, not an easy task for Mark Walker to come back and fill his shoes, that's for sure. Well, David Ellis is uh, prominent in the book, and uh, one of the reasons is not just because of the success on the track, but it's his ability to pick them out at the sales. And you've got a great review uh, and breakdown of uh, the Caracas sales as well, uh, which is a feature of, of the publication. Yeah, absolutely. So we've tried to cover off every bit of, of the season that's that's got real importance to the industry. Obviously, the Group One racing, the carnivals, the champions of the sport, and and part of that is as well. You know, you, you get into the Savabills and, and and the success he had at Stud, but also uh, you know we wrap up the sales and and obviously it's, it is a it's a fantastic sale that New Zealand Bloodstock run, and they've obviously been a, a a key supporter of the of the publication as well, along with Cambridge Stud. And uh, it's great to be able to document what they've been doing as well, the, the evolution of, uh, of that stud farm that uh, Brendan and Joe Lindsay have taken over. And obviously, you know, it's, it was an iconic place under Sir Patrick and, and Justine Lady Hogan's uh, ownership and operation, but they've taken it to another level again. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's just a, a great time to be able to... to just go back and record that whole season, see what's happened with all these individual parts that make this industry so great. Yeah, I'm looking uh, as you speak about that. Uh, I think it's taken from a drone, uh, I would imagine, the photo of the complex, and it's yeah. just absolutely pristine with uh, the prominence of uh, is the, still the two horses, uh, Sir Tristram and Sir Beale. Uh, still um, the, the monuments to them in the triangle outside um, one of the barns there. Uh, it's just beautifully manicured, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a photo that's taken by Roger Laxon, who does a lot of the photography for, for Cambridge Stud. But as well as that, you know, the the one thing you'll notice right throughout that book is just how, how well laid out it is, how those photographs really do bring those pages to life. And there's a guy called Ken Emery who I worked with, with uh, for 14 years at Waikato Times, and he, he does all my layout. Like, uh, this is... 
I think the fourth book that I've done, he's done the layout on all the others as well, and he's been he's been very very good at it, and uh, he does bring those pages alive. He's he's got a real gift, and and featured of course uh, as well as the jumps industry, um, that side of the industry as well, and some wonderful shots there of horses ploughing through fences at Ellerslie, etc. Uh, another great season for Kevin Myers and Sean Fannin too. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it's an important part of of uh, the whole jumps. Uh, well, not the, just the the, the, the uh, jump season, but the whole season. There's that jumps aspect, and there's uh, such great history that goes behind it. Some really interesting facts that were brought up in that uh, jumps review, just about how when Chris McQuaid, the jump statistician, had had done his uh, when he'd started doing the, the stats on it, there's like 128 jumps jockeys for that season. I think there were 22 uh, this year and only two of them having their first jumps ride. So it's a changing landscape in the jumps, just as it is in the, in the flat gallops. But that's the beauty about having these annuals. We can go back and, and get a snapshot of just where we were in, you know, 20. 21, uh, just as we could, you know, going back into to 1972, 73. Aidan, uh, I, I hear in your voice that, you know, you're pretty proud of, of what you've come up with here, and so you should be. Does that, uh, does that encourage you to make sure that uh, we're going to have one in uh, 2022, 2023 uh, going forward? Uh, uh, is that, is that uh, on the cards? Because it would be a damn shame after seeing this one that it didn't yeah, go on. absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, Smithy. And, and then that's the thing. You know, like, obviously, it took a bit of arm twisting for me to get it off uh, the ground in the first place. I went back and spoke to the previous four editors, and they all said, "No, nah, you'd be mad if you do it." So, uh, anyhow, I was mad enough to do it, and yeah, we'll have another crack again after next season. It's just uh, the workload. It, you know, it was it was mm. easy this time round because we had COVID and and being able to have lockdowns. So you've got the time on your hands, but. Um, yeah, I know the workload and it is punishing, but obviously you, you see the, the product at the end of the day and, and it is something that I am pretty proud of, yes. Yeah, and so you should be too, mate. And we can't let you go. Uh, it's a big weekend of racing, particularly at Alice Lee. There's uh, two $1 million races up for grabs of you. Uh, I know you haven't had the barrier draw. We're going to do that actually live uh, here on this show at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, which is uh, exciting in itself. But uh, anything that takes your eye uh, three or four days out, Aidan? Oh, I know your boy Smithy's got a, a share of on the bubbles and uh, the word after that trial was uh, everyone's disappointed, everyone's scratching their head, but uh, the word from both Opie Bosson and Jamie Richards this morning was that the uh, the track work was back to his absolute best and they are very confident going into this weekend's race. So uh, the 180 looked a little bit skinny after watching the trial last week, but... Uh, by all accounts, he's he's absolutely back on his game. So he's got to be some sort of chance and definitely giving Pacific Dragon a decent chance and the two-year-old as well. Tony Pike really happy with the way she's progressed. No issues at all with her. And she did lower the colours of Wolverine last time out, who's the favourite for the Kalaka Million, but then had the race taken off her in the room. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, she's going to be a, a big, big player in the race on Saturday. Aidan Rodley, thanks very much for your time this morning. And once again, congratulations on a wonderful publication, folks, I recommend that you get it. New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing Annual 2021. Uh, the content and the pictures are worth having on your shelf. I promise you that. Aidan, thank you. 
Smitty, if you if you if you want to give one away, uh, I'm more than happy to. If you've got a listener and you, and you, and you want to do something that way, I'm more than happy to to uh, to send one out to, to one of your listeners if if you want to do something around it as well. So uh, I'm just really grateful that you've given us the promotion, made it uh, more widely known that the, the publication is out there, and we want to get it in as many hands as uh, of readers as possible. I think uh, John, David, and I have uh, talked about that. We'll be doing that on Friday morning, live out of the Auckland studio. Okay. So Friday morning. So we shall do that, Aidan, and thanks again very much for your time this morning. Good on, Smitty. Cheers, man. Cheers. Aidan Rodley there, folks. Of course, uh, you know Aidan from Trackside, but uh, you should really uh, <laughs> admire the work that he's done. It is a wonderful publication. And just for the pictures alone, I mean, the colour, the action, absolutely outstanding. The veins standing out on the horse, the, the, the jockeys and the expectation and the look of determination. If you like racing, you'll love this book. 9.45 here on SENZ. Yes, we're just chatting with Aidan Rodley about that to New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing Annual uh, 2021 edition. Uh, and uh, Ken from Papamoa said, I totally agree. That is a great publication. And Anthony is coming as well to say great work uh, by Aidan. Congratulations. So if you're still listening, Aidan, uh, you've got uh, some real fans out there. Okay, let's uh, look at those subjects today that we were talking about. Memories of Lancaster Park and uh, the four most easy-on-the-eye batsmen that you can remember watching over the history of cricket in your time. Uh, Smithy, my memory of Lancaster Park is Martin Crow taking one on the chin from Bruce Reed, getting carted off in 1986 and coming back to score a brilliant gutsy 137. That's from Dodge. Remember it well. I was in the dressing room when he came in. Uh, blood streaming out of his chin, big gash there. Stitches had the scar for it uh, to uh, remember it by, uh, and then came back on, out there with uh, a full face grill on. He changed from uh, just the side flaps, came back out and scored 137 against that very same attack. So uh, that was brilliant. Uh, first, uh, Justin said, first Lancaster Park memory for me. My first concert, Dire Straits, 1985 as a nine-year-old. How awesome is that? Uh, and Kevin Locke's try in the snow against the Tigers. Ah, remembering that as well. Just fantastic. Uh, they're coming in all the time. So uh, we appreciate that. Uh, hey, Smithy, a couple of my favourite memories from Jade Stadium, being a kid running around the concourse to stand beside the massive castle at one end uh, where the horses were running out. Remember that back in the days? Uh, yeah, I remember that well. Uh, the Warriors getting smoked by the West Tigers every year. The Tigers would bring a home game to Christchurch and it was the first time watching the NRL. Always remember the big screen saying, goal, not conversion. And number three, Brendan McCullum going NATO on the Australian T20 side, playing McCullum scoops to Dirk Nannis and Sean Tate at 100 miles an hour, smashing 100. Still watch the highlights of that particular game. Remember it well, was lucky enough to be a commentator. Simon's come in and said, how about these four? Lara, Tendulka, Crow and Gower. Yeah, you uh, agree with someone else that's coming there. Uh, Muhammad Azaruddin and VVS Lakshman, says Kevin, obviously a, an Indian cricket fan. So plenty of memories uh, and plenty of ideas coming in. Keep them coming in and we'll keep talking about them. It's 9.52 here on SENZ. <laughs> A lot of people ask me towards the end of last year, what was your strike rate in the multis that you put up uh, on a daily basis? And I used to say, well, I don't think it was very good, uh, but I didn't keep a record. This year I am. I'm going to keep a record this year and just see how we officially go. I can inform you that we're 0 for 1. 
after day one, we are 0 for 1. Um, and uh, that is because uh, the Dallas Cowboys, in somewhat controversial fashion, uh, lost yesterday and are out now of uh, the NFL, beaten by the 49ers. Um, and uh, Minnesota Timberwolves did get up and beat the Golden State Warriors, uh, but the Sixers lost to uh, the Adelaide Strikers. So that was no good. So trying to level the ledger up today with the LA Rams to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, NFL action this afternoon. It's $1.51. Tomorrow morning, Chelsea will play Brighton in the Premier League at a buck seventy-two. I think Chelsea will beat them. And this afternoon, also Milwaukee Bucks to beat the Atlanta Hawks uh, at $1.46. And that will multi out at $3.79. So uh, hopefully we're one uh, and one coming up uh, tomorrow morning at this time. Uh, interesting too, we've uh, got another couple of uh, sets of, of players coming in. Viv Richards, wow. Talk about presence at the crease. Uh, we play a little promo on uh, on the station, and Brendan McCullum says he was one of those people that initially he modelled himself, or not so much modelled himself on, but admired and looked at because he had such a presence at the crease. Sachin Tendulkar, uh, Kumar Sangakara, and A.B. de Villiers. Mm. Lots and lots of suggestions coming in there. Michael said from Wellington, I remember the days of Athletic Park and getting very cold in Wellington. Uh, you're right, Michael. Athletic Park, totally different kettle of fish to Lancaster Park, but still with some great memories there. It is uh, coming up to 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Ali Martin to give us uh, his opinion on uh, what has transpired really over the last uh, five or six weeks. Uh, Ali, we spoke to you earlier on in the piece, uh, it really hadn't got underway at that point, uh, but now uh, it is all over and you've been having to write some, some pretty tragic stuff to be fair about English cricket at the moment. <laughs> Morning, Smithy. Yeah, it's been uh, yeah, it's, it's been a tough one. I've I've just uh, just woken up here in Hobart, and uh, you've uh, you've just put me through the moment uh, once again. So, <laughs> cheers for that. Um, I've got to, I've got to say, we yeah, we did. We we spoke about half an hour before the toss, didn't we? Uh, the first test mm. of the Gabba, and I think I reported to you that they were going to be uh, probably leaving out Stuart Broad for that first test match. And I remember your reaction was one of complete uh, su- surprise and bewilderment, and 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 it's it's kind of gone south from there, really. It has, and and Joe Root's decision, of course, to uh, to to bat first and bowl of friendly conditions um, without Anderson, without Broad, it was uh, I think it, it sort of set the tone. But you still, you mm. know, over the course of of five Test matches, you do have the opportunity to bounce back in some form, but. There is pretty little evidence of that, Ali, to be, to be fair, and, and not many players will leave and head home um, with anything like a, a feeling of satisfaction. Reception maybe Mark Wood. Uh, that's right. I think Mark Wood's probably the only, the only English uh, cricketer that comes out of it in, in credit. He put in some wholehearted, lung-busting performances, um, you know, especially particularly... At the end, he got his reward with a with a sixer in the in the final bowling innings. But but actually, Mark Wood in some ways sums up a lot of the overthink because um, you know he was England's one ninety mile an hour trump card, and uh, he bowled more overs than any other Englishman in the series. But more than half of those came after the Ashes were lost. So um, that kind of uh, that kind of sums up some of the failures in selection along the way. Sixty eight for none in that run chase, uh, and at one point uh, they were the favourites to win England, and uh, everyone thought, well, there'll be a little retribution here, something at least to take out of this uh, five months of uh, five weeks of pain. But that collapse, uh, that was probably the worst of the lot, and I know it's not easy in those situations, but 
68 for none, uh, and 56 runs later, you're all out. Staggering. It was staggering. I mean, it's it's funny. The um, it, it did become very tricky under lights, I must say, but uh, that that probably shouldn't excuse what what occurred. Some of the shots witnessed. I mean, uh, to watch a guy like Ollie Pope, and and in some ways, it was very hard, harsh on Ollie Pope because he he'd been dropped earlier in the series. To be dropped and then recalled in the same series, I think, is always a tough ask. Um, but to see him, you know, batting on off stump, groping outside and trying to play at the balls that he really could have been leaving, and then to suddenly be bowled around his legs, that was a kind of, it was almost the, you know, the, the first dismissal, the first ball of the series in reverse, seeing a, a right armor bowled around his, a right-hander bowled around his legs by a right armor was kind of the, the, the burn start dismissal in reverse. And that kind of, that summed it up. I mean, I, I must say these days, in, in test cricket, particularly when you know when when a team is uh, sort of five or six down and miles from 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 the target, they, a lot of teams do lose heart these days. But we, we see it a lot with England, particularly. There's, you know, you're asking for uh, maybe these are cliches, and maybe it's um, you know, maybe it's a bit much to to ask in that situation just to just to show a bit of fight and a bit of resistance and a bit of grit. And it was mm. it was completely absent, and that probably probably is is just you know the result of a team that over over the course of five test matches had just been sort of repeatedly whipped. And and let's not forget, I mean, it was a classic test match finish uh, in Sydney, but but we had we lost seven days, seven overs of, of, of for rain that day. And if that rain hadn't come and, uh, you know, England would have lost that, we'd have been talking about a whitewash here. Mm, we would have. Okay, so let's, let's look at... Um, who, there, uh, obviously, you look at blame. You, you look at what the reasons why. England have only won one of their last 15 test matches, so it goes deeper this, than just this tour. But where, do, where do you sit with the, the blame here? Is it the system uh, not producing the players? Uh, is it the system focusing away from test cricket? I mean, a lot of people have said too much white ball, not enough red ball. Where do you sit with that, Ali? No, it's interesting, actually. I was, I, was, um, I mean, I, I do think there has been a, a massive, aggressive move towards the white ball formats. Um, it's pretty much happened ever since the 2015 World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And, um, you know, they, they, they piled a lot of resources into that, uh, into those formats. But, but ultimately, that England's failure in that tournament was a failure of selection. And, um, and by the time they, they got to the 2019 World Cup, they had a, you know, really settled side. They had a good coaching setup, etc., but they still continued really pushing it domestically um, and producing a, a massive stock of players. I mean, you see English players are some of the most in demand in the world right now. You look at someone like the Big Bash, it's, it's full of young English players who can't get anywhere near the, you know, the, the, the first team in terms of the, the international setup. So they've created this huge sort of army of white ball players, and, but the, the, the red ball formats really have been left behind. Um, everything's been piled into it. There's been, you know, there's uh, people are sort of saying, don't blame the hundred. I don't think people are blaming the hundred, but the hundred is sort of indicative or symptomatic of how far that aggressive push has gone with white ball cricket in that it just dominates the summer months. And, you know, in England, we're not blessed with the same weather as Australia. Uh, and, um, you know, I think Australia can just about get, get away with having the Sheffield Shield, you know, sort of bookending, bookending the season um, because the weather's mm. still strong at those times of year. Whereas in England, I mean, you do get you do get some 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 good periods of weather in, in April and, and September, but ultimately it's it's a bit of a lottery. And combined with the sort of uh, grassy pitches, a Duke's ball that you know really does reward sort of seventy mile an hour medium pace, it just creates cricketers that aren't really necessarily set up 
um, you know, to play the long innings uh, or, or potentially bowlers to who have that extra bit of pace and bounce that you need at international level. And, and, and spinners have been pretty much marginalised as well. But I also think we shouldn't be making too many excuses because, and I heard Mark Butcher make this, this point last night, and um, I really do agree. And I, he was essentially putting, you know, looking at the example of New Zealand, you know, they're sort of regular white ball semi-finalists and finalists, but have managed to marry that up, um, you know, by creating a test team that's, you know, well, the world champions, you know, and, and, you know, so consistency across four, across all three formats is not impossible. And New Zealand do that with a resource of about a quarter of the number of professional cricketers. So um, as much as you can kind of look at the way English cricket has moved towards the, the white ball formats, I think it's, um, I think there's probably a, a, a failure there to a degree. But I also think that, that you shouldn't get away from the fact that this is a tour that has been run pretty poorly, I think. Um, and there's been enough mistakes along the way. England's record, as you say, isn't great in, in Australia, but um, they could have competed a lot better here with um, smarter thinking and selection. And um, and also, you probably got to look at the last few years of coaching and ask how many batters have come into the uh, England setup and improved. And um, it's still the case that the uh, ever since Joe Root made his debut in 2012, he remains the only English batter to average over 40. Mm. Okay, let's look at um, a couple of individuals who may well be um, under the cosh here, as you like to say over there. Uh, Chris Silverwood yeah. as, um, as, as head coach. Um, days numbered? Days over? Um, it's, it's, it's very hard to see a future. There's, there's a slight... I mean, Chris Silverwood was promoted to... He, he was appointed as head coach in 2019 and then... Um, he was sort of promoted uh, last year to, to, to be, be given the role of selector as well. So he, he has all the power and that was done apparently to be, to, to, to have sort of accountability there, but accountability is still not easy to get in English cricket. <laughs> Even when you've got a guy who's head coach and selector, uh, Silverwood is a good man. He's a good coach. Um, but I think he has struggled on this tour. Um, and some of the selection and strategy, which we mentioned, particularly going back to Brisbane, but also, I think I think probably the most egregious decision I thought was the second test when uh, they went to Adelaide. They dropped Mark Wood. Well, they rested Mark Wood after only 25 overs of um, uh, of, of work at the Gabba, uh, and obviously his hardiness has since been proved proven. But they dropped, left out their fast bowler on a, on a flat one there, and also left out their spinner. And Mark uh, Jack Leach had had a bit of a pasting in that first test match, and it was. You know, but 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 these things happen. He probably shouldn't have played the first one, and then he should have played the second one, and it and it, and it spun, and, and also England needed a fast bowler there. So I think when you look at things like that, uh, you just kind of and this isn't it's not it's not a new thing with uh, the Silverwood regime. There's been a lot of misreading of pitches along the way, and a lot of curious selections. And um, I think yeah, I think he I think he is probably struggling here, but but ultimately. You could go all the way up the food chain, really, because Ashley Giles is um, is the director of cricket who appointed Chris Silverwood, and also the guy who promoted him as well last year. And then you could probably go even further up than that because we've got Tom Harrison, who's the chief executive. He's been he's been there for seven years, and now he's suddenly talking about the English game needing a red ball reset. I would suggest that you you kind of want administrators in place who are uh, looking, you know, sort of looking and doing these things proactively. Right? It shouldn't take a, a huge calamity to start talking in these terms, I don't think. And and it's not like people haven't been saying it for a while that England's Test cricket have been suffering. 
I remember well, uh, Ali, going way, way back. Uh, when I say way, way back, uh, I'm talking about, I think, August of September uh, last year when um, it was a point of conjecture as to what kind of team England would be sending because a lot of the senior players wanted their wives and families and that to be treated um, properly in terms of uh, quarantining, etc. And that, and that became one of the, the really, really big issues. And often when I mm. see that kind of thing developing and that kind of, I won't say player power, but... That, that kind of thing dominating the headlines, I start to get worried about uh, the substance within the playing side of things. Uh, I just mm-hmm. wonder if there are perhaps other issues uh, uh, around this team and, and uh, sometimes that can lead to poor performance. Yeah, I suppose, he, I mean, it probably could suggest, uh, I certainly know that was the that was the vibe in Australia as well. Um, the, the modern player likes to, you know, likes to have the, the sort of the, their families around and I think particularly for England, I, I do think it's a particularly acute issue for England in that um, they pack out the fixture schedule. I mean, you know, it, it is a 12-month sport for, for, for England, for an England player, if you are a multi-format player. And I think they made, they probably used, uh, they, they, they probably, they, they essentially wanted those multi-format players in particular who are going to be going straight through from the start of the World 220 through to January. These are guys that were going to be away from family for, for, for four months and they wanted to get those provisions in place. But, um I've got to say that uh, what actually transpired was a lot of the multi-format players' families did, never made the Australia trip in the end. And it, it sort of struck me that they'd pushed all their chips into the middle on that front to get families in. When actually thinking about it, I, I feel like England hold, held a lot of aces there. And if there were going to be negotiations to be had, it was to be it was to start the series in a state that didn't involve 14 days hard quarantine. That would have been... That, that would have been the way to go if, if I was pushing that. I mean, I, I don't know how the negotiations work at the kind of... Uh, top administrative level to, to, to that level of detail and whether that could have been moved. But to put guys through a hard quarantine in Brisbane and, um, I mean, it's kind of unfortunate their preparation got wiped out by rain when they were there. But um, it, it just struck me as a strange one. And, it, it, and there was a lot of sort of fear about how Australia would be in terms of quarantine and borders and, and what have you. But the, when the series came around, it, it kind of melted into the background and... And you're right. You kind of it, it. It did make you wonder whether they just kind of overthought and over over worried about that. But it is kind of symptomatic of how much England play across across the twelve months. Uh, important, uh, of course, now becomes um, the home summer, uh, England's home summer, and uh, because you're, you're always uh, are really on trial when you're playing in front of your own. And of course, uh, this summer features uh, a tour by uh, a New Zealand side to play test matches. So all of a sudden, I think probably one of the most important home series for England in quite a while. It is. It is. And, and it's funny, actually, we talk about kind of rest and rotation and uh, and those side of things. Um, I seem to remember a New Zealand side making six changes at Edgebaston and uh, and absolutely wiping the floor with England last year. So uh, that that is a sign of the depth that New Zealand cricket has right now. And it, it represents... Uh, a big challenge for this England side. They, they actually go to the West Indies for three a three match test series bef- before then as well. So um, whether the whether the reset can you know whether whether there is a change of personnel, uh, a change potentially of, of head coach before that tour even I'm not sure. It's it's it, it, as I say the the the, the 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 schedule doesn't stop for English cricket uh, for the England team, the England men's team in particular. Um, but you essentially look at it is for England. It's the entire. Uh, month of March, which is in the Caribbean, a three-test series. 
then obviously for some of uh, the best players potentially that's uh, there's the IPL that then runs for two months and the IPL final I think start uh, is the day after that first test against New Zealand starts so if you're a player going to the IPL and I think someone like Johnny Bersa who's the only centurion uh, in this Ashes series for England, you know, probably the, arguably the one bloke to, with the bat to come out and credit. Um, you know, is he going to go through? What what are the priorities here? Will he be recalled and 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 you know asked to play a bit of a bit of county cricket before that first test and get into the red ball zone? You know, it's um, it's going to be an interesting few months ahead. But you're right, that is a that is a, a bumper series, a three match series against New Zealand, which a lot of people in England have been calling for for a long time because I think people have recognise the you know the skill and quality of that New Zealand team and for too long it was just a two match uh, test series and, and always sort of treated as a warm up it, it will be the first series of the summer but um for my money it's it's you know it's 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 going to be a fantastic fantastic challenge for this team that, that is going to be rebuilding there's almost you could almost say there's anyone they'd rather not face because um it's the world test champions when you when you're attempting a rebuild mm -hmm. so um yeah tricky one Ali Martin, uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. I think uh, one of the words you, uh, the most important words you mentioned in there was priority, uh, and I think that's what England uh, cricket has to look at, to be honest. Uh, in my reserved opinion, from a long way away, you've got to get your priorities right and your people in, the, in those positions to organise those priorities. So, uh, And I think it'll improve from there. I mean, it might be as simple as getting an opening partnership that, that makes sure that you get to 100 for none one day, and it might just build from there. It might be that simple, but... Uh, Ali, thanks very much for your time. I, I really appreciate uh, the two times you've been able to talk to us, uh, pre and post. Uh, let's hope you can write about happier things for England cricket coming up. Uh, and, and again, uh, safe travels. Stay safe and stay well. Cracking. Cheers, Smithy. Good to see you. Yeah, good on you. Ali uh, Martin there from uh, the Guardian newspaper, one of many journalists who have had to uh, review this Ashes performance and uh, not too well either, to be honest. Uh, Ascend 21, panel next. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. We have got Mark Hinton, of course, uh, from Stuff, and Sam Ackerman, who's uh, pretty freelance these days with his uh, thoughts and opinions uh, with uh, us this morning, and uh, really pleased to have those two guys on board. Uh, Mark, we'll start with you, and uh, the Djokovic uh, has left Australia. The story hasn't quite gone away yet, and news this morning coming out of France, that their regulations have changed. He might not be able to play in the French Open either. So where does that leave no the number one tennis player in the world going forward? Smithy Novaks, he should change his name. Um, yeah, it leaves him in a tight spot for, for probably a lot of 2022, doesn't it? Look, he's not going to be able to play in the French Open unless their, uh, their laws change. Uh, they're actually tightening up on on, uh, on not allowing unvaccinated people into the country. It's going to play havoc with, with the rugby comp, the European rugby comps, with the uh, football uh, matches that are unfolding with unvaccinated players, and it will not allow Novak to play in the French Open. But he, I'm sure he'll give it a go, Smithy, because as we've seen with Novak Djokovic, or Novak's Djokovic, uh, he doesn't seem to think that the rules and laws and regulations of everyday life apply to him, and I'm sure he'll be making his best effort to get into into Paris and to France. So it'll be the story that keeps on giving this year, Smithy. But uh, at this stage, as it stands, he won't be at the French Open and it'll be another chance to become the greatest ever tennis player of all time, officially, uh, that will pass him by. Sam Ackerman, it's very hard outside of Serbia to find anyone who backs his case. Uh, where, do you, where do you 
where do you stand on this? Is, was he was he dreaming? You know, we're taking on a country. I was always really interested to see what the uh, the stance would be, and when the uh, when the courts found in his favour, I automatically thought, well, that won't last. It's uh, the government's going to uh, to take a stand here, and the pro- the problem is is that Djokovic was working under an assumption. His assumption, his team's assumption, they'd be allowed, in, allowed into the country. I don't think that they did enough homework to find out because they were probably afraid of what that answer might have been. Australia made things pretty clear, and whether he or anyone else agrees with it or not, it's their country, their rules. So um, it's, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that uh, it's ended the way that it has. And I'm, uh, I think that um, Novak Djokovic has every right to make every choice for himself. But uh, just like he has that right, uh, the governments have uh, have that right, whether it's right, wrong, or otherwise, to make their calls. So it's a, 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 a continuous messy situation. I'm I'm blown away by the level of coverage it has got around the world, and by that I'm talking about news coverage. It's it's the leading. It was the leading story. This this uh, this whole. Uh, whole affair over uh, like national radio here, BBC, we're talking news coverage here. I was, I was really surprised uh, that the vaccination status or the ability to play in a tournament of one very well-known tennis player, it's fair to say, uh, was treated as big as it is because we're going to have these issues flare up uh, plenty over the next uh, year or two. Mark, were you surprised at just how big it became? Um Yes and no. Um, yeah, like Sam, you know, it was a massive story. Um, and I think it's been a bit of a test case. I think it might, you know, might be um, even decreasing circles, if you like, as the year plays out and these things become a little bit more normal. But I think this was seen as a massive test case, wasn't it? A guy, you know, standing up for his right, uh, basically, you know, make, moving heaven and earth to basically try and get into a country that clearly didn't want him in there. So, um yeah, uh, politics, uh, the outspoken nature of Serbia's politicians, past and present, added to the mix. It was a real soap opera, wasn't it? We had, you know, uh, bizarre sort of comparisons with good and evil and chosen ones and everything. Um, so yeah, it had all the ingredients, Smithy, but I don't see, I don't see um, um, it, it continuing to hog the news headlines as we do see more and more of these things. Because let's face it. The way the world's unfolding in 2022, which is not a lot different to 2021 and 2020, um, you know, these things are going to become more and more commonplace. They are, and I think non-conformists are on the way out, to be fair. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. I was going to ask you guys uh, as well, uh, 2022 events uh, that you're looking forward to, we've pretty much covered that with... uh, the women's sport, because that sort of dominates at the Commonwealth Games as, as well. Uh, but, uh, Sam, I, I think it's fair to say uh, Phoenix men and women and the breakers have underperformed as New Zealand franchises uh, in Australia at the early stages of their season. Uh, it's still a couple of months away till the Warriors, so we really need a fast start from them. What are you hearing behind the scenes? Anything at all about uh, where they're at and uh, the likely start to the season? Uh, well, when you're talking about the events looking forward to, I presumed you were going to ask me about the uh, the 2022 Warriors Grand Final victory. But we'll we'll we'll, we'll save that hashtag our year. Uh, we'll we'll save that for uh, for later on. But I, I I'm hearing that um, from from the Warriors, it is by their standards, and because they've been away, 
uh, it's a low key, like they're happy with the intensity, but it's low key. They're not uh, whipping themselves into a frenzy. They're not um, talking themselves into um, big zones. Like when the conversations that have come out of the club uh, publicly as well have been really focusing on people like Reese Walsh apologising uh, for stuffing up. They're talking about uh, Ash Taylor's uh, this, uh, move to the full-time squad and how they've been impressed. And that's kind of been the general uh, feeling and, and the word I'm hearing from people is they're impressed uh, with how things are going. But it should be pointed out, very few clubs come through and say, we're going terrible uh, in this pre-season and uh, you know, everybody's undefeated right now, so it's a, it's an easy place to be, and uh, you're only judging against those you're running against. So uh, a fast start is, is needed. You're right, because the Warriors can't be in a situation of chasing their tail and being successful. Um, some of their great runs have come from having a a wonderful run to the tail end of the season, but it very rarely comes from a zero base. So the Warriors need to start to show uh, the type of football that um, finals teams have, and that is a consistency where your best is not so far away from your worst. It's like we're in different postcodes. Mate, Sam, we, we do have a comedian segment on this show at some stage during the week. We can invite you back if you like to talk about Warriors Grand Final if you want to. Yeah, hashtag not out yet. Please don't don't quote me on that. I, I don't think this is the Warriors year, but it's, uh, it's, it's, worth, it's worth getting excited about. And, and Smee, just on 2022, I am quite excited about the Winter Olympics, and I don't recall saying that as a, um, from a New Zealand perspective ever. Like the team has uh, got some great young talent and can genuinely go in there thinking, look, this team could medal. We've seen it before. We've seen the medal uh, with Porteous and uh, Zdowski Sinnott and young Ben Barclay's yeah. performance over um, the weekend and uh, Alice Robinson. There's a great young squad there that New Zealand should be pretty proud of and I'm really excited to see how they'll measure themselves and uh, what is actually an event that I think New Zealanders would really enjoy if they had more stake in it, more skin in the game and having people contending for finals and that would bring that along the way. Absolutely. Uh, you make a very good point there, Sam, and we won't be ignoring it here on the show at all. We've already interviewed Nico Porteous and a couple of others um, in the build-up to this, so we'll be following their progress without doubt. Here's one for you, Mark sure. Hinton, uh, with your cricketing background, and uh, here's an interesting one. We're, we've got a Mount Rushmore this morning on the foremost uh, impressive batsmen on the eye, not necessarily the great accumulators, and we're not looking got wisdom out here looking at averages and things but on the eye uh, if you turned up and, and wanted to go to a game of cricket Mark Hinton and said look this is a batsman I really enjoy watching in your past or your present who would that be oh for me it was Martin Crow uh, the late great Steely departed I uh, just you know the way he batted um, just the way he accumulated the way he got his innings going the way he built his innings and just the um, the touch, the feel, you know, the way the ball came off the bat. He was just a master of his craft. Um, um, <laughs> and, and, and another player I love watching, I'm a bit biased because I went through school with him, but when Ken Rutherford was at his best, I love watching him. He took a lot of chances. I know he had his, had his troubles, but, uh, and he's a polar opposite to... Uh, to Martin Crow, no doubt about that. But when he was at his best, I loved watching him as well. So uh, to, those two from that era, and probably Stephen Fleming from the more modern times. Again, another guy that just timed the ball so beautifully. Loved watching him when he was at his best. Uh, the ball just came off the bat so beautifully. So Fleming and Crow, probably the two masters. And, and with my little bit of king's side bias, Ken Rutherford at his best. Well, there is a dinner party I'd like to be at, and you would too. Martin Crow, Ken Rutherford, and Stephen Fleming. That's a, that would Absolutely. be a heck of a dinner party these days. 
<laughs> Sam, Sam Ackerman, um, favourite batsman perhaps that, that you w- would have uh, watched over the years or would like to see again at some point? First of all, I am not picking up the uh, the wine bill for that um, that order. Just saying at that table, uh, that dinner party, that sounds that would be that would be crippling. Um, but the uh, the just the joy to watch the people who uh, I, when I would watch bat would make the you know they in their role make the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Uh, would be I, I'm obviously showing my preferred style of uh, of cricket here, but I loved watching Great Batch, Cairns and Astle. Those are the ones that when they were on. Um, they had my full and complete attention. I still remember sitting, um, I was up in the media box at the time, but I thought, no, nah, I need to get out of this. And I went and sat right by the uh, right by the boundary to watch sixes rain over my head when Nathan Astor mm. went absolutely ballistic in that test against England. It, there's something about the the clean hitting of those gentlemen that um, that sticks with me to this day. And, of course, Martin Crow, you, you can just sit there and enjoy every element of what he does. And uh, I've, I've always enjoyed watching Kane Williamson go as well. But just the, the clean, crisp hitting of those three. And maybe you could, I could even throw Martin Guttel in there too as well from being fair of, of when they just hit the ball, it just stays hit. I think there's some balls that he hit are still moving somewhere around the globe. So it's, uh, it's, they're great to watch. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Um, it really has. Uh, we're talking also memories of Lancaster Park, and I'm sure both of you have got plenty of those, uh, as well as the Astor one. So uh, that's for another day. But thank you so much for your time this morning. Mark Hinton, Sam Ackerman, that was the panel. Really enjoyed it. 10.45 here on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Uh, Louis Herman Watt joins us uh, this morning. Uh, Louis, we've only got a, a couple of minutes with you, about 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Racing fans want to be listening to the show. Smithy, live and exclusive. Ian Smith mornings. Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, with me, Louis Herman Watt, and we'll even drum up Mickey G, Michael Guerin, get him into studio. Joined by Craig Baker from Auckland Thoroughbred Racing, who will have and be the only person in New Zealand that has seen the barrier draw for the two-year-old and three-year-old Karaka Millions. He will have in his hand a piece of paper and be the one that knows the barriers, and he will come in, he will announce them, live reaction, led by yourself with Mick and me. We might try to pin down a couple of prominent trainers who will be very curious to know where the horses draw, and you can hear it live and exclusive here on SENZ. I don't know about you, but that fires me up, Smithy. Well, it does me because uh, we're talking about uh, one of the feature uh, nights of racing, uh, afternoon and nights of racing, of course, is uh, at Ellerslie this Saturday night, January the 22nd, Louis. And barrier draw is huge, huge. We're talking million-dollar stakes here uh, and big stakes throughout the night, but in, in particular, these two races are million dollars. So barrier draws, uh, and everyone, everyone with connections is waiting. Well, especially with these juveniles, Smithy, these these two-year-olds, Ellerslie is a unique track, especially on Karakamillion night where you've got the boys get paid lads up the top, you've got the lawns and the tents all packed, the big screen's there. We've seen horses shy away at the big screen before, the crowds, the barrier draw, whether they can jump and lead, have to work from wide like on the bubbles did last year, and, of course, the jockey appointments, Dynastic, Opie Bosson, Craig Grills to ride Grace and Grey, the two more favoured ones. Um, yeah, big news. Okay, Louie, I look forward to that. Um, I will be um, nervous, actually, nervous. Uh, Paul Mawadi from uh, the TAB is with us. Uh, Paul, Monday Night Football in America, Rams, Cardinals, Rams slight favourite. 
Yep, they are a dollar fifty-four on Matthew Stafford and the LA Rams. Two thirty-five on the Arizona Cardinals to win there. We've got a number of power plays on that match at the moment. There's a couple of power plays that have tweaked the interest of punters. The first one, Cooper Cup to have a hundred or more receiving yards, uh, yards and to score uh, at least one touchdown. That's paying two dollars and fifty cents at the moment. Uh, and the next one, Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford to combine for 550 or more passing yards mm. and to combine for five passing TDs. That one's paying $5.50. Those are the two best back power plays on that match uh, today. And I heard you talking about Karaka Million Night. Of course, if you want to be a part of it and you want something someone else to do the work, have a go. Finally, the Australian Open is underway. We've had day one and night one. Uh, and joining us now to uh, to talk about it is uh, SEN tennis commentator Jenny Drummond. Jenny, uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, Novak Djokovic, we understand, is back in Serbia. Uh, is that the end of it over there? What's the vibe now that he's gone? Oh, good morning, Ian. Um, thanks very much for having me on. Um, well, yeah, you know, it was a funny day one yesterday because actually people had stopped talking about Novak Djokovic for a moment and were focusing on the tennis, which was... Uh, refreshing change to be honest with you but um french um news agency l'equipe came out and said that um the french open would implement the the fact that all tennis players had to be vaccinated in order to play Roland garros so from that news and um, the saga will certainly continue but as to as to what happens in regards to the french open we're not quite sure yet but um, yeah, going back to, to yesterday, it was really nice to, to turn to some great tennis, even though there was only 50% capacity around Melbourne Park. It was still a really lovely day one. Conditions? Normally it can get really hot in some of those courts. Yeah, it can get, it can get absolutely baking. Um, and sometimes they, they've got, they have a heat rule that they implement. If the heat on the court gets too much, then uh, the players can have a break in between sets, a 10-minute break, or they can actually pull the players off the court. We've seen that happen before. And let's be honest, it's Melbourne, so we can have all forms of weather in one day. So um, the players are, are pretty used to it. But yesterday was um, was nice. It was like 24 degrees. It wasn't It wasn't too warm at all, and there was a bit of gust in the evening and it does get quite cool in the evening today's a similar day um in scotland we would say it's a bit of a drich day because it's um a bit of damp in the air and it's gray and cloudy but um it picks up from tomorrow certainly okay let's uh, look at uh, who played yesterday and uh, of course with djokovic gone it, it uh, opens up i guess a little bit of a romantic opportunity for one rafa nadal to uh, to maybe become prominent again he's been out of uh, Grand Slam tennis for a little while with a foot injury. How did he look? Oh, I mean, yesterday he looked incredible. Interestingly, he's the only player in the draw to have been a past Australian Open champion now. So um, that that's a, that's a very new thing because we're obviously very used to Roger Rafa Novak being in there, Novak having won it nine times. Um, I mean, Andy Murray's in the draw, who's made the, the final several times, but we'll have to wait and see how, how he gets on. He's got a tough first round match today. Um, we do have, you know, some other Grand Slam champions in there, but it's um, Rafa Nadal stormed through his match in three sets yesterday. He looked so comfortable, so relaxed. And um, yeah, I think the limelight will certainly be turning towards him now, the pressure on him for sure, but you can never rule out the likes of Daniel Medvedev, the, the second seed. He's he's a hungry player looking for, for 
uh, his second slam. And um, Sasha Zverev, Alexander Zverev, the German, he's the third seed. He played last night, had a little bit of a tougher encounter than than he anticipated in his first round match against his German compatriot, but he came through in straight sets, so he he is a real contender too. And then Stefanos Tsitsipas, um, the Greek, he's well loved here in Melbourne, but has had a few injury issues of late with his um, right elbow. So we'll just have to see how he marries up in fitness-wise, because I mean he's made semi-finals here at the Australian Open before. Obviously, you've got a vested interest in Sir Andy Murray. Um, now you've mentioned his of match. Course. Uh, Nicholas uh, Basilashvili, who is a very accomplished player, in fact, uh, 21st seed going into this tournament. So let's talk about uh, Andy Murray because you cannot write him off. I mean, his game might not be quite where it was, but his level of determination, you can see it on his face, is still very much there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he got to the final of a, an ATP Tour event just a couple of days ago, didn't play the tennis he wanted to in the final, didn't play the level. But the fact is, he has a metal hip and he is competing with some of the best players in the world. And he knows he's got a little bit more in him. I mean, it was, you know, a couple of years ago that he lost to Roberto Batista a good um in five sets at the Australian Open and basically alluded to the fact that he was retiring, but has somehow found a way to come back. He is probably one of the most determined humans on the planet. So going back to his first round encounter, it's not an easy match. Nicholas Bazalashvili, as you say, a very accomplished player, hits the cover off the ball and they just played each other in the first round of the tournament last week. So that match went for over three hours and it was a three set match. So best aside today, it could be an extended one. And then you obviously have to worry for Andy physically lasting the length of a Grand Slam. You have to win seven matches to win it. And they are best of five sets in the Melbourne heat. So it can be very tough. Mm. But having said that in a Grand Slam, you do get a day off in between. So that does really help in terms of recovery. Let's look at uh, the women's side of the draw because if there's any player sure. in this particular tournament with a level of expectation upon them, it will be Ash Barty and uh, quite frankly could not have been a really much more impressive on her opening match last night. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I, I commentated on that match and she, she even said in her post-match interview how clinical she was, how pleased she was with her level of performance. I think an element certainly will be uh, the fact that there has been some attention elsewhere in terms of the media attention coming into this tournament, which is a great thing for her because you know she, we all we all love her. She she just wants to go under the radar, which which suits her down to the ground. Um, but I was also saw her warming up yesterday with her team on Rod Laver Arena before her match. They were having so much fun, loads of giggles. She was with her fiance Gary, her coach, her fitness trainer, and they just they're just such a one big happy family, and that translates on the court and. Certainly in her tennis as well. She was unbelievable. 54 minutes it took her to beat Lesia Sorenko, 6-love, six 6-1, six um, the qualifier. And she plays a, a qualifier in the second round. So I'm sure the whole of Australia will be wishing her on. One match down and six more to go, I think. That's what they'll be thinking. Well, Jenny, uh, you talked about being happy on and off the court. That hasn't always been the case. Of course, well-publicised with uh, Naomi Osaka, who was in this tournament. She's mm-hmm. off to a winning start as well. Hasn't played uh, a lot of tennis, but has been in the headlines for other reasons, of course. Uh, mental fatigue, one of them. Where do you, where do you foresee um, Naomi Osaka's game at, at this early stage of the year? Um, 
Well, to be honest, yesterday she came out all guns blazing um, for the first kind of half an hour or so and then wobbled a little bit, maybe got a little bit tight. But that's that's normal when you haven't played that many matches. Um, but she was smiling on the court. She looked pretty relaxed. She was um, playing a really good up-and-coming Colombian player, just 20 years old, who had nothing to lose. And that's the thing. When you're Naomi Osaka, everyone's on the court to beat you. So often those players lift their game. So it's not easy to, to come out and do that every single day. But certainly she was looking quite happy, quite relaxed, uh, kind of routine first round uh, for her. But the, the interesting thing is that um, she and Ash Barty are in the same quarter. So it's a potential cracking fourth mm. round clash there as early as the fourth round, which would be quite remarkable because, I mean, that's a final right there. Emma Raducanu uh, last year won our hearts. I mean, she stole our hearts with that performance <laughs> uh, in the US Open. It was just one of the great tennis stories, sporting stories of the year. Uh, and then all of a sudden now, um, perhaps she just had to have uh, a little period of consolidation uh, whereby uh, we take a bit, uh, a bit of a stock of, on life itself, not just tennis, but life itself and how we handle things. Uh, she's back in the draw, 17th seed, but taking on a really experienced player in Sloane Stephens. That is a huge first up draw for her. Oh, I mean, it, it, it's so tough for both players, frankly. There's a few really incredible first round matchups of, you know, former Grand Slam champions or former Grand Slam finalists. Um, and that's just the way, that's the luck of the draw, essentially. Um, but it is it is a really interesting story. Um, Emma Raducanu obviously bounced onto the scene last year. Um, Wimbledon, she did very well, but, you know, came off the court, couldn't quite get through that match. And then what she did at the US Open was, was just historic, quite literally. Um, but then I always think at some point, you know, if, if you go that high, there's there's kind of only one way to go a little bit. And it's inevitable that, She's going to have some bumps in the road. She barely, she's barely played on the WTA tour. So, and it, it was, she was made a global superstar over two weeks and everyone wants a piece of her. And let's not forget, she's a teenager. So there's going to take a lot of getting used to. And I think the most important thing is she's got a really solid team around her who can nurture her, who can coach her, who can just help her through all these completely new experiences for her. Um, because it's true, I mean, Tennis is vitally important to these players, but I think Naomi Osaka is the, the first one to, to show. And also Ash Barty as well. With you know, She took some time out of the game. It's important to be happy off the court. And if you're not, then how can you do your day job? I mean, it, it goes for anyone in their day job. How can you go and, and do your job to the best of your ability if you're struggling with everything else personally? So do you know what? I'm excited to see what Emma, Radic Emma Raducanu can do. Um, but I also think that we can't hold out too many expectations because I don't think she knows what all she's going to do is go on the court and play her best tennis and see what happens. And I think that's, that's all we can expect from her, really. Let's uh, then look at the possibilities on the women's side of the draw. Aside from uh, the ones we've mentioned, uh, and Ash Barty, uh, who is obviously the hometown favourite, Naomi Osaka with the experience of winning previously. Outside of those two, who, who could we perhaps look at uh, as a potential slam champion this time around? Well, you've got Arena Sabalenka, who's the second seed, um, but she of late has been having some major serving problems um, and kind of breaking down on the court. So, I mean, as a second seed, you, you would always back her. Um, but 
it, she's up she's up today in her first round match. It'll be interesting to see how she gets on because she suffered two first round defeats in, in the lead up to the Australian Open. Um, but you've got Ange Burr, unfortunately, had to withdraw yesterday due to a back injury. But interestingly enough, she was in the same quarter as Osaka and Barty as well. Um, but you can't rule out, you know, someone like Simona Halep, multiple Grand Slam champion. You've got Kvitsa in there, multiple Grand Slam champion. Garbina Muguruza starts her campaign today as well. So I, I honestly think it's going to be very interesting to see how the women's draw plays out because you've got really incredible pockets of, of very strong players. And on the men's side, you mentioned, uh, of course, Medvedev, Jurev. Uh, we've talked about Nadal. Uh, Andy Murray, um, probably a, a bridge too far for him at this stage. But outside of those names, anything, uh, anyone we should look at in particular in, the, in that side? Well, there's always some youngsters as well. You know, Felix Auger-Aliassim, the Canadian, he's been he's been playing well of late. Um, he just won the HP Cup with his compatriot Denis Shapovalov, getting some great wins mm-hmm. there. Matteo Berrettini, you can't rule out as well, the finalist at Wimbledon. He did come through in four sets yesterday, but... Um, you know, you can't play your best tennis in every single match of a Grand Slam. I think Matteo Berrettini is, although he has had an abdominal injury of late, he is a player that um, is very exciting to watch, that's for sure. And, and as I mentioned before, you, the likes of Medvedev, Tsitsipas, um, you know, they're, they're very, very strong players. And of course, Zverev is still hunting for his first Grand Slam title. He is so hungry for it. Olympic gold last year, he won the most titles on the tour, the, the Nitto ATP finals at the end of the year. So um, obviously Dominic team isn't back to full fitness yet, so he's not here. Uh, but I, th- I think Zverev is, is hungrier than ever to try and scoop his first Grand Slam. Let's um, just, uh, um, before we let you go, Jenny, I'd just love to hear your uh, opinion on, on this subject, perhaps, because uh, in men's tennis, it's, it's been the big three or four uh, for so long. Uh, and I know age catches up with all of us, and injury tends to date, take over in the case of Murray and Nadal, of course, and Federer. And then you've got this principled man in Djokovic who, who looks like he's going to stare it in the face and say, I'm not changing, which might mean he's going to miss the French Open as well. Um, are, are we looking at a 12-month period, if he doesn't change, of almost saying goodbye to all these four greats, including Murray? Oh, that's a, that's a very big question. Um, I, do you know what? I just I, I don't have an answer for you on that one. I think with these greats, you just never you can never rule them out because you know before when Roger Federer was injured, he came back and won a slam. Rafa has won multiple. We thought he was done with, with his knees and his back. We thought he was absolutely gone a few years ago. Came back and has won slams. Djokovic's body's held up longer than than most of them, but. It's it's just so hard to tell. I mean, Rafa Nadal could easily win at least two slams this year. Um, you know, it was, it was incredible that he finally got defeated at Roland Garros last year. But if Djokovic isn't there, then you never know. Dominic's team is, is probably the best on clay other, other than uh, Djokovic and Rafa. But if he's still injured, then Rafa could still grab another. So I think at the moment, given the circumstances, if the vaccination situation stays the same way, Rafa's got the best chance to to start scooping a couple more, that's for sure. And, I mean, I think everyone in the world has their fingers and toes crossed that Federer does finally come back. And I think it would be Wimbledon would be the the easiest slam for, for him to win, really. Jenny, absolutely uh, have loved uh, listening to your thoughts. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, 
I, uh, I know that you're uh, very busy for the next fortnight. So uh, thanks so much for your observations. Uh, and on this side of the Tasman, we look forward to it uh, with uh, great interest. Uh, one of the great highlights of the tennis year for us as well. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you. Uh, Jenny Drummond there, who uh, is SEN tennis commentator. Uh, of course, um, wonderful Scottish accent. Don't you just love it? Uh, and vested interest with Andy Murray, Sir Andy Murray playing uh, today, representing their, uh, their hopes and dreams. And uh, maybe it will be a romantic uh, end for one of the greats uh, fighting their way back to fitness and form. 11.18 here on SCNZ. Eleven twenty-four here on SCNZ, and that music uh, signifies to us that uh, you've got a bit of breaking news, John Day. What's uh, what's up? What's come to hand? Yeah, just some breaking news from the Breakers, uh, of course, who have actually you know won a couple of games lately. So they probably wouldn't mind playing some more, but they're not going to tomorrow night, Smithy. Uh, Wednesday night's game between the Sky Sport Breakers and the Tasmania Jack Jumpers has been postponed in line with the NBL's COVID health and safety protocols. And this is a thing that's happening a lot across the Tasman, isn't it, Smithy? We've seen it with the Phoenix. Mm. How many players did they have? 19 or something like that? 19. With COVID? I mean, just... Had a training for five people. Yeah, five people out of the whole squad at one point. Like we haven't seen them for ages, have we? Um, so they come back this week, but we won't see the breakers tomorrow night, Smithy. Okay, thanks for that, John. Uh, also, we should just point out uh, we were talking to Paul Mawati just prior to uh, the news break at eleven o'clock. Our little segment with the TAB, and he was he was sort of cut off because we've got a real uh, tight time there. We're going into the news; it has to happen right on time. And he was sort of halfway telling us uh, about the boys get paid syndicate and what they've got uh, to offer this weekend. Mention it again, I've been told by uh, a listener, so I will. Uh, uh, there's a 50k bonus bet from the TAB if the boys get paid, get to 500,000 in the pot. 50k bonus bet from the TAB if the boys get paid syndicate, get to 500,000 in the pot. So there you go, we've straightened that one out as well. Uh, a few more texts that have come in to the extent of... Uh, uh, Stephen from Manorewa, this is an interesting one. Uh, I watched Chris Ken smoke 143 of 100 balls in January 1995 at Lancaster Park. The builders were building the new Hadley stand at the time. I remember this. Uh, they had to stop working and they were getting pummeled, absolutely pummeled straight down the ground. Uh, so the Hadley stand was sort of a, like long on and Chris Ken's was bombarding them. So the boys stopped work. That was very interesting. Uh, <laughs> indeed, so yeah. Uh, oh, look, uh, some memories there. Uh, someone's coming and said, uh, how about, uh, in fact, it's Zaid saying, uh, love Chris Gale and Chris Lynn, Martin Guptill, Kane Williamson, Brendan McCullum and Colin Runro. So I think it's fair to say that Zaid is a T20 fan, uh, in all honesty, although I remember Chris Gale getting a magic double hundred uh, here at McLean Park, I think it was, against um, New Zealand in a test match there. So there's no doubt about him. So, yeah, that, uh, seeing the stats from Sunil Gavish's first 10 tests, was he better than Tendulkar? Well, he set the standard for Tendulkar. There's no doubt about them. Both diminutive men, both the same physique, really. Um, the little general, then the little master, uh, I think they were probably referred to as. Gavish's record is undeniable against some of the great players uh, in the world. Um, those are pre-helmet days, too, when Gavaska started. In fact, he modelled a helmet, he used a helmet where he batted in a cap, but he had a skull cap underneath it. It was quite interesting. Uh, but he was a phenomenally good player, Sunil Gavaskar. 
uh, very good commentator as well, and uh, a lovely bloke, uh, as is Sachin Tendulkar. Um, but I think Indian players or Indian people, particularly more modern uh, Indian cricket fans, and there are a truckload of them around the world, would probably say Tendulkar better than uh, Gavaskar. John, in, in, that, uh, in that opinion from me. Oh, look, um, what else have we got to, to perhaps mull over? We've got the, the 11 o'clock tomorrow, don't forget, 11 o'clock tomorrow, Louis and Mick, we're going to be doing, talking about the, the draw, the barrier draw, uh, updating the markets, etc. for the big race meeting at Ellerslie. Uh, so that's a little bit of uh, housekeeping to do as well, John. Absolutely. That's live and exclusive, Smithy. It's pretty exciting for a racing man like yourself. I'm sure a lot of interested punters yep. and you, like you've got a horse in the family on the bubbles. Like um, chatting before, uh, we were talking to Aidan, weren't we, at 930 what was he saying about um, what it wasn't looking good or it was looking short for its dollar eighty, but it's been doing good track work? Have you got any inside oil on I'll have a bubbles? Well, I really, um, yeah, on the bubbles uh, had a poor trial, uh, and so it's a, it was very, it's very short favourite for the three year old million dollar race. So at a dollar eighty, and everyone was thinking, really a dollar eighty? It was uh, by its own standards a pretty poor, poor trial, which concerned. Uh, rider, trainer and the connections and they were a little bit worried about it but my understanding is uh, as recently as, as this morning that On The Bubbles uh, has worked out of its skin this morning and uh, they're a lot more happy about it but I'm not for one say, one second tipping it out of the buck 80. Uh, I don't tip the horse because uh, I'm a jinx when it comes to that. So, <laughs> Have you been uh, banned? That is the latest on that. <laughs> oh, I'm Opie Bosson has Opie Bosson's chosen to ride it. That's not a bad sign. He is uh, generally a relatively good judge and has uh, pretty much uh, first pick when things go on. I love this little cricket troll that you gave us on Twitter this morning from Iceland Cricket. I thought that was outstanding. Um, nations we have beaten, this is from Iceland Cricket, nations we have beaten, Switzerland. Associate nations we would beat if we had the chance, the Cook Islands, Denmark, Estonia, Gibraltar, the Isle of Man, Latvia and St Helena. We would beat them, they're saying. Full member nations we would beat England. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, so, how about Jeffrey? Jeffrey Boycott doesn't hold back, does he? He really doesn't. There were flops, he says. Butler dropped catches and his batting was dreadful. Early on, his feet were all over the place, leaving him too far away from the ball when it was a round off stump. Hasib Hameen, I'm sad to say, has not got it. No matter how decent Hasib looks in the nets or in county cricket, he has struggled and will struggle at international level, playing like he does in a straight line, and Rory Burns is ugly to watch. If that is the best of what England cricket has to offer, then God help England. His technique, you would not give to a friend. That's Sir Jeffrey Boycott. Unbelievable. Uh, he's a ripper. Uh, so is uh, Stump Smithy at uh, 11.30, and that's what the time is now. So 0800 $800-150-811. $800-150-811. $100 from the TAB up for grabs. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Certainly is. Improved it on day one with a couple of stumpings, which means today we do have a hundred bucks from the TAB up for grabs if you can stump Smithy. And plus some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, their New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And we are going to Auckland first up where we have Billy, who's a first-time caller, are you, Billy? Oh, no, boys. I've played once before. Have you? And I think Smithy and I had a, split, a stalemate. He might have gone easy on me that time. Oh, he doesn't go easy on anyone. Doesn't sound like you, Smithy. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I've got a New Year approach, too, for 2022. I, 
I'm hoping to go 365 days without losing one of these. So all the best to you, Billy. <laughs> I, you, you'll let a few bites through, Slip, uh, oh. Smithy. <laughs> okay. Bit of chip from right. Billy. We love okay. it. All right, mate. Uh, three sporting categories. You choose one, get all three questions right, you win. But as soon as you get one wrong, we'll see if you get buys or stumped. So, rugby union, rugby league, or tennis? Do any of those tickle your fancy? Um, I'll, I'll go rugby union, but I know it's a strong suit of Smithy, so... Uh, Let's hope the right questions come up. All right, we'll have to wait and see. You're from Auckland. Are you a Blues fan and do you believe? Um, no, look, I'm a rugby fan. It's hard to pinpoint. If I had a team, it's the Highlanders. Uh, former Scarfy. Nice. Grew up in the Bay. Right. The Bay? Yeah, yeah. Which, which Bay is that? Uh... Of course, um, the Bay of Plenty, the only yeah. Bay. Yeah, oh, okay, sorry. Just had to qualify. Smithy was fist-pumping. I think he forgot <laughs> that while they have the Ranfilly Shield, they are not the Bay. But anyway, it's 2022. I don't want to get off on the bit wrong foot there. Question number one, Billy. Roger Tuivasa-Shek yep. made the New Zealand Secondary School Rugby Union team featuring the likes of Adi Savia, Patrick Tupolotu and Nani Laumapi in what year? Uh, Tupolotu. Um... Let's go 2009. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not a bad side, that Smithy. What year was that in the New Zealand secondary schools? Right, so Tupolotu now would be 30, 29, 28, 29, 30, I'm thinking. Um, So we'll go back, uh, I'd say 12 years from now. Um, And I'm, uh, it's quite, yes. Yes, the Billy's only go 210, 2010. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Very close. 2011. 2011, that New Zealand secondary school's oh. rugby union team featuring those guys. Adi Sevilla was the best of those bunch, but Roger Tuifar's a sheik. I'm looking forward to him making his debut. Hopefully fill that midfield for us. Question number two. You're still alive, Billy. Which former yep, yep. Canterbury first five is now an assistant coach at the Hurricanes? Ooh. Oh. Um, uh, Canterbury had a lot of first fives, haven't they? That's right. That's right. Uh, can I go uh, the chap Blyendale? Tyler Blyendale? Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. It finally came to you. Well done. That is correct. He hasn't been long in the job. I think he took over Carlos Spencer there at the Cane. Smithy, would you have got that one? No, I wouldn't. I, I know the guy. I've interviewed him. Um, and his name just uh, just eluded me there. So, yeah. Um, Billy, uh, Billy got... Yeah, Billy was right, and um, he didn't need to be uh, a beneficiary of my lack of knowledge there. But as they say on the chase... And the Dark Destroyer says it well. This is a one-question shootout. <laughs> Take it away. I love it. Love it. And it's a question about my Tasman Markle, of course. They're going to have new coaches this season after Andrew Goodman and Shane Christie decided to move on. Name one of the two new co-coaches for the Tasman Markle. Oh, jeez. Um. <laughs> no, it's a tricky one for two guys from the Bay yeah. uh, who probably don't care, but, you know... It is a question. Um, sorry, guys. I'm, I'm definitely not Googling, by the way. I'm just trying to reach out to the universe. 
Um, <laughs> I uh, look, say Daryl Gibson pass. One of the worst things I have ever yeah. seen done on a cricket field. I think he's coaching your mob at the Steamers. Um, but no. Nah. Yeah, so Goodman and Christie <laughs> yeah. are gone, Smithy. Uh, there's two new co-coaches for the Mark all this year. Just need you to name one of them. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen it being appointed, whether it's someone that's gone back, um, like a Kieran Kane or someone's gone back, or whether they've, uh, they've gone forward again. So I have not seen this announcement. I was bush last week, so... Uh, uh, yeah. No, I can't. I, I, I really can't. I'll take a stab um, and I'll say that they have brought in... No, I can't. I, I really can't. I, I, I've got no one. I, Fair I, enough. They're not household names, and if you haven't seen it, you haven't seen it. One of the worst things right. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Gray Cornelius, famous name uh, from no. around that region, and Dan Perrin, who used to be a hooker for Tasman back in no. the day. So no. if you yeah, hadn't I seen it, you Dan, haven't seen I remember, it. I remember Perrin. Um, and so uh, congratulations to you, Billy, respectfully. Um, <laughs> You, you do not get the sleep drops. No. But you do get the 100 bucks, regretfully. Um, I, 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 can I just point out a, a thing here? Um, the yep. bay. It is not Bay of Plenty, is it? Because did not the Bay of Plenty come down for a shield, an unsuccessful shield challenge during the last season uh, when Sam Payne <laughs> was water boy, etc.? So did yeah, you not look, lose that it match? Was, yeah, look, look, slightly fair. That was a very tight game, though, Smithy. You know, I think it could have gone either way. We'll just have to yeah. wait and see this year. I'll, we'll, we'll give it to you for, for this year, eh? Or for 2021. So, what are, so where am I from? You're from the Hawks Bay, aren't you, mate? Billy? No, no. Where am I from, Billy? Hawks Bay. No, no the Bay, oh. Billy. Get Should we take through. the 100 Get bucks off through. him? <laughs> I'm from the Bay, Billy, and your former team oh. is the Bay of Plenty, <laughs> all right? Okay, I'm not going to say that, but I'll agree. Enjoy the hundred. Hey, stay on the line. We'll get the details off you, mate, uh, so we can get that hundred bucks to you straight away. Congratulations. Well done. Cheers, boys. Great stuff. <laughs> okay, uh, 11.40 here on SENZ, and uh, when we return, it'll be Mount Rushmore time. Be a little bit of uh, Jimi Hendrix, and then our four most glorious batsmen on the eye that we can think of, John Day and myself. Star Spangled Banner there. That's the Jimi Hendrix version, and that signifies uh, to us here and maybe you at home or in the car that it's Mount Rushmore time. And uh, John Day, today we have gone under the subject of the four most attractive batsmen on the eye. Not necessarily the ones that had all the statistics and wisdom or whatever. Uh, just the ones that you really like watching from your vantage point. John, you go first. Absolutely. Um, a lot of this is probably going to come from the 90s for me. It's when I fell in love with cricket and my first number four on my Mount Rushmore of stylish batsmen. Uh, this guy was... Named, uh, nicknamed Afghanistan because he was the forgotten war and it was Mark War. That's it, he smashed it to the boundary. That's Mark War's 100. 100 on debut. What a magnificent innings it's been. It's his 26th first class 100 and he's getting a little shake of the hand there from Greg Matthews. What an occasion for him. I mean, I just loved yep. watching him play. Steve's probably the more famous of the brothers, Smithy, but I just loved his... I think he had a V100, uh, nice Slazenger, and he just stood so tall uh, and effortless 
when he played his shots, especially, I think, through the covers. Just loved uh, the way he um, played the game. Just so smooth, Smithy, for me. So, Mark War number four. Yeah, I think uh, fantastic. Uh, absolutely fantastic choice there at number four. Uh, had really no regard at all for off-spinners. Mark War didn't think they should be playing. Uh, absolutely loved hitting him through the onside as well and over the onside. Mm. So, uh, Mark War, terrific player, good commentator, and wonderful racing man as, as well, just by the by. Uh, look, I, I'm going to um, modern times now. I've, I've sort of gone back and forwards in this particular choice, but repeatedly in commentary I've said I love watching this guy play, and uh, I think uh, when he's flowing, he is beautiful on the eye, and that is uh, from India, Rohit Sharma. 50 up for Rohit Sharma. Nice way to come into commentary because he has worked very hard as side is in deep trouble, and he has played some very elegant shots in the process of this recovery and this partnership, which is also worth 50 now. Yeah, on cue. Thank you very much for that, Ben. Uh, absolutely outstanding. So uh, that was a fighting innings, I remember, but when he's absolutely flying without the pressure on him, uh, he's even better on the eye. So that was my number four. Number three for you, John. Yeah, I to and fro with this because so many great batsmen out of India, uh, Rohit Sharma being one of them, Sachin Tendulkar, but I always heard Dan Vittori say that this guy was the best player of spin, and I couldn't disagree. That's it. It's a good shot, too. Nice way to reach 100. A very, very good innings in the context of this series and the match. Absolutely brilliant. His first Test 100. He's made uh, 17 in first-class cricket now. He's second on this tour. A real good knock. Wonderful to watch. It has been an entertaining knock, all right. And we've got that 100 in very, very difficult circumstances, seeing wickets fall all around him. That hasn't curbed him from playing his shot. 16 boundaries in that 100. Hoping they were going to say his name, but they didn't get there. It was VVS Lakshman. Uh, Rahul Dravid could have picked out of that side. Uh, Verinder Sawag I love watching as well. But for me, VVS Lakshman, I don't know. He was always that guy when India were in trouble. He was the guy who stood up uh, for me. So VVS, a great player of spin and a great man for when the chips are down, he'll hold up, hold up an end and then some. So VVX Luxman, number three for me, on most stylish batsman, Smithy. Yeah, great choice, great choice. Well, my number three could have been number one or two as well. I, I sort of uh, really just put them down uh, as opposed to saying that these guys should have been uh, one, two or three. But, Fair enough. Uh, great mate, great mate, great player, no longer with us. Uh, always, always when I was uh, a teammate of his, sat in the players' room or on the balcony watching him play because you didn't want to miss it. There it is, and what a way to bring it up. A beautiful straight drive, slightly on the onside, and his third test century. A great team spirit from the New Zealand camp, the Australian captain salutes. A beautiful hundred. Fist clenched above his head, Jeremy Carney, the New Zealand captain. Next man to come into bat. That was that famous century smithy at the Gabba. 85, 86. Yeah. 188. Uh, big partnership with John Reed batting at three. Uh, Martin Crow at four. Uh, yeah. Just fantastic. No problem at all. So stylish. Um, beautiful on the eye. Yeah. yeah. He's my yeah. number two as well. I tried to, I was think. I just wrote down Martin Crow straight away. I was like, oh, surely maybe Ross Taylor because he's just retired. Maybe I can get him on my Mount Rushmore or Kane Williamson, the way he plays the, the ball so late. 
under his eyes. It's beautiful to watch. And even Fleming, uh, when he's on form, a beautiful left-hander. But it's got to be Martin Crowe. For me, he's number two. Uh, I idolised him as a kid. I bought my first uh, GM autograph original uh, because he batted with one and he signed it for me um, personally. Uh, just absolutely loved him growing up. So he's my number two. Smithy, who's your number two? Well, this guy had so much time, it wasn't funny. Felt like you could have a cup of tea when the bowler was running in. Their makeup's mind where he's going to hit you. Uh, one of the most elegant left-handers uh, the game has ever seen. I'm not talking about Brian Lara. I'm talking about a fellow who played number three for England, who I stood behind on many occasions for far too long, unfortunately. Gower, 99 not out. He's got that one away, and that's his 100. A magnificent hundred, full of stroke play. What an innings by David Garb. His team back to the wall, and he has scored his 18th Test 100. He's ninth against Australia, and he's fourth in Australia. It's also his first at the Sydney Greer Ground. Some glorious shots. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant player, David Gower. Uh, just uh, he just made batting look so easy, uh, and that's what the beauty of it is, and uh, that's what we're talking about. Uh, so that leads us to your number one. Yeah, our number ones. Well, my guy is a left-hander. He is a guy you've mentioned, and he's a guy that's popped up on the text machine all morning. And man, he just scored runs for fun and huge, huge scores that still stand today. Goes for it. It's beaten the man. It's square leg. That will do it. Eight scores of 200 or more for Brian Lara. Waves to a, well, sort of fairly well-packed Adelaide Oval. That was a wonderful double hundred. I don't think you teach his technique, Smithy, because you're just born being Brian Lara or you're not. I mean, it's not a technique others can copy, uh, but especially when he was in Australia for those summers, I just loved watching Brian Lara. Well, who's your number one? Well, not Brian Lara, but it could have been. Uh, eight scores of over 200. 500 and one innings against for, for Warwickshire. Good God. Uh, yeah, imagine watching that all day and part of the next day. Uh, but this bloke I stood behind as well, and this guy was uh, someone that Martin Crow looked up to uh, and styled himself on a wee bit, particularly with his apparel um, and his ease of stance and the way he went about things. Um, and this guy, ironically, probably one of the most unpopular cricketers as far as New Zealander. New Zealanders are concerned, but I took that out of the equation. I thought uh, standing behind, this bloke made the game look so damn easy with bat in hand. Shot, beautiful stroke. What a marvellous way to bring up 100 with the classic cover drive we've seen so often over the years from this great player. His wife, Judy, is so pleased he knows this is his last international game of cricket for Australia. A century to Greg Chappell. And what a magic moment for us all. Not only the people here at the Sydney Cricket Ground, but the viewers throughout the Nine Network. I'm sure there's a tear in Judy's eye there because there's a few people around this ground with a lump in their throat. What a magnificent effort from one of Australia's all-time greats. The crowd are standing here at the Sydney Cricket Ground. It's a magic moment for us all, and particularly for Greg Chappell. And just in case you missed it, it was Greg Chappell uh, who was my number one. Now, my number one in the afternoons between 12 and 4 is Mark Stafford. Staff, we've left you very little time to preview your show. What have you got on? Uh, well, 
let me just say, Martin Crow, David Gower, Rohit Sharma and Gus Logie for me. Gus Logie? You remember Gus Logie? Logie. Yeah. yeah, I remember Gus Logie. I like Gus Logie because he's the only one my size. That's him. That's him. What do we got today? I'll tell you what we've got today. Adam Peacock, SEN Tennis commentator. He's calling games live for SEN, which we will have, like we did last night, we'll have it tonight. Um, hopefully we'll have Brian Thorburn, the uh, Fiji Drua, Chief Executive, what what are they up to? Nancy Armour about the NFL. Hazel Schofer, a wonderful jockey. That's what's coming up, Smithy. Great afternoon. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to Trudy.